Well, today we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. We transition to chapter 2, but the theme continues. You will remember that Matthew is writing to the Jewish nation so that they will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Kings. So that you'll believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Here is his family line, for example. So that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, this is how he was born. So today, we actually have a little bit of a twist here, but the same, um, the same point continues so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Kings. Here is who recognizes him. Now think with me uh, about your nativity scene. We still have our Christmas stuff up. We have all the boxes out, but we have not... We have them all crammed into the catch-all room, and, and so we haven't put all of our Christmas. We still have our Christmas tree up. It was, a, it was a really fun one. I don't really want to take it down. It was, it was kind of a uh, Horton Here's a Who looking uh, Dr. Seuss uh, tree this year, very skinny with some arms that ran in lots of different directions. Um, but we still have our nativity scene. Think about the nativity scene. Who's in it? Well, Jesus is in it. And Mary and Joseph are in it. For some, there's an angel. I was talking to Aaron this morning, and he's like, you know, it was a host of angels, wasn't it? But in our nativity scene, they have one. Uh, we're getting gypped on uh, the angels. Uh, we have the shepherds. We have the animals. And then for most people, most nativity scenes, we have the three wise men. Did you realize that of the four gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only Matthew lists the wise men? Uh, Mark and John don't even have the Christmas story. Luke is silent on the wise men. And so we only have Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and verse 16, that we have anything to glean from regarding the wise men and the Christmas story. But yet the wise men actually have a song. They, they have a Christmas song. Isn't that interesting? So today I hope to answer uh, some of these questions. Who were the wise men? Were they kings? Were there three? Did they ride camels? And are they really that significant? So last week was a lot of theology. This week will be much more of a history lesson than a sermon, but um, I have really enjoyed uh, getting into the book of Matthew and the biblical history uh, that is interwoven throughout uh, this book that helps us to understand uh, the purpose of the book, and um, I hope you will enjoy it too as we travel through. But the wise men are actually uh, way more significant uh, to the entire history and to uh, the Messiah uh, being born, then you may understand the term wise men or magi, just kind of a side note, I'm a financial planner, so I do some tax planning as well. There is this, um, uh, there is this calculation called the modified adjusted gross income. And the modified adjusted gross income uh, determines how much of Social Security retirement is taxable 
to retirees. It also is uh, calculated as a separate calculation to determine how much of a health insurance tax credit, premium tax credit that you would qualify for. So as I'm at my desk and consulting with people uh, regarding tax planning, uh, the, the acronym is MAGI. And so I say, well, we have to calculate the MAGI. Now, these are not wise men. This is actually the modified adjusted gross income. So I can even slip in the wise men in day-to-day -day work. <laughs> the term wise men uh, was actually, um, is the name of a priestly tribe within the ancient people group of the Medes. <clears throat> now, similar to the 12 tribes of Israel, there is a, a tribe, the Levite tribe, the tribe of Levi, that was the priestly tribe for the Jewish nation. Uh, the Magi were the priestly tribe of the Medes. Uh, there, were, there have been several world powers throughout history, as you know, but the Magi played a prominent role in four of them, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. The Magi, as a group, were skilled in, taught in um, astronomy, which is the study of the stars in the heavens, and astrology, which is the belief that future and events can be determined by the study of the stars in the heavens. That's much more of a false religion than anything else. But they didn't distinguish between science and religion either. They were um, involved in sorcery, uh, divination, and interpretation of dreams, along with the many other skills that they had. In fact, we get our term magician or magic from the magi. Now, we don't know exactly when they came onto the scene. Some historians believe that they, they can be dated all the way back to Ur of the Chaldeans um, as part of a nomadic people that were wandering in that part of the world. Uh, we don't know for sure, but we do know that they surfaced in prominence during the Babylonian time, and we see them, um, we actually see them enter the Bible at that time. Why would that be? Well, as you can imagine, if you've got a pagan king or a, a pagan kingdom, it would make sense that they would be very interested in um, dream interpretation or sorcery, uh, reading the sky to determine what's going to happen. And so their rise to power really became um, most prominent during the Babylonian Empire. But they were also able to transition from empire to empire. So uh, that in itself is, is out of the ordinary. Uh, you know, when, a, when an empire is overtaken, usually the entire leadership team is wiped out. And so uh, that was different with the Magi. They were able to move from the Babylonians to the Medo-Persians, then to the Greek, and ultimately um, you see them involved in the Roman Empire, maybe not as much. <clears throat> but they maintained a tremendous prominence. Now, before we go any further, uh, let me just tell you this. God is in control of history. You can be sure of that. History is his story. And he knows all things. He is in control of all things. And he can use all things to work together for his purposes. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know 
that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's you. And as you grow and mature in your, in your walk with the Lord and your relationship with the Lord, um, this becomes part of your lifestyle. This can be a life verse, as a matter of fact, because there are ups and downs throughout our life. Every day, every week, every month, certainly every year, there are battles that we will face. And we can't live up here, and we certainly don't want to live down here. We have to learn to live in the middle knowing that God is in control and uses all things. God used the Magi. At some point, the Magi became so prominently placed that they have become sort of a royal advisor or advisors to the kings. And this is actually where we find the first wise men in the Bible. We see them in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, you have a... Uh, part history, part prophet, uh, pr um, prophetical writing here in this book. It's laced with prophecies about the future, including the end times, which we have looked at when we studied the book of Mark. We will see it also as we get further into the book of Matthew. But it begins with the captivity of Daniel and other Hebrew young men. Now, the practice of the day would be when, when the Babylonian Empire would, would take over an, a, uh, an area, a, a country, uh, uh, a, a nation, their practice would be to take prominent members uh, of their society, uh, bring them into the palace, and indoctrinate them in the Babylonian culture. And the thought process, the, the rationale behind it was really twofold. They would bring them in to get them indoctrinated in the Babylonian empire, but also to learn from them what the culture was like in the area that they have overtaken. That way they could uh, use their influence to, to help uh, govern that area. At the same time, they could figure out how best to communicate um, uh, and, and position themselves uh, in that area. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, you have a very interesting story of King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he has awakened from a very disturbing dream. And um, the reality is he doesn't, while the, the magi are in place, he doesn't believe in them. He considered, considers them frauds, but he's so disturbed by this dream that he calls on them anyway. But because he doesn't believe in them, he, he does this. He, he, he says, I need you to interpret this dream, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. And so he really sets them up for failure. At the same time, he sets them up to expose their, their fraud. And so they, they say, you know, there's nothing we can do. We, can, we can't do that. Um, you have to at least tell us what the dream is, and then we can tell you uh, he says, just as I thought, you guys are frauds, and he, he orders them all to be executed. Now, one of those arrested uh, and in line for execu execution is Daniel himself. And so he asks for an audience with the king. We can see this uh, picking up in uh, verse 27. Daniel says, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. 
But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Verse 46, the king, after he, uh, Daniel then gets permission to ask the Lord for the interpretation of the dream. He exits, he gets the interpretation, he comes back and he delivers the interpretation of the dream. Verse 46, King Nebuchadnezzar's response is to fall prostrate before Daniel. He paid him honor and ordered that the, an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished him with many gifts, and he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge, look at this, of all its wise men. So what you have here is a pagan king. He essentially believes that these magi are frauds. But he is allowed to see or hear from the one true God, and he puts a godly man, Daniel, who, remember, God has allowed Daniel to be taken captive. And yet he uses all things for his good and his purpose. And he has now this godly man, Daniel, put in charge of all the wise men. Very interesting, isn't it? There are a couple of other references uh, to note in the book of Daniel. In, King, uh, in chapter 4, for example, King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and he calls for another interpretation. Now, in this case, uh, he actually tells them the dream. Verse 6 says, so I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. They had renamed him Belteshazzar. I said Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. I know that you... That the spirit of the holy gods is on you. No mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream. Interpret it. Now, ultimately, Daniel does interpret the dream. It is not about other kings or kingdoms as the one before. It is actually a dream about what would happen to King Nebuchadnezzar himself. So at this point, Daniel has become very highly placed, very highly honored within this pagan organization or this tribe, this priestly tribe called the Magi. Now, a question you might have is, well, if he's in that such high place of honor, then how did he get thrown into the lion's den? Well, that's a really good question, and because he was. Uh, and you can find that in Daniel chapter 6. Now we have a new king in power. His name is King Darius. And look at it in verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. This would be like local governors or perhaps mayors in our day with three administrators over them. One of those administrators is Daniel. So Daniel has been moved from the leader of all of the magi. Now he's essentially got one foot on both sides. He's, he's leading this group over here, but now from a government point of view, he is uh, leading, he's one of the three administrators over Babylon. 
The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel. They, can, they ended up conduct, con- concocting this plan that uh, everyone, no one can pray to anyone other than the king. Uh, they find uh, very quickly that Daniel, three times a day, goes and prays to God. They catch him. You could call them set traps, not sat traps, if you wanted to, because that's exactly what they did. Yuck, yuck, yuck. So what you have here is not the magi trying to set the trap. It's others. It's the set traps and the administrators. Uh, We see the wise men coming up again in the book of Esther. Um, The book of Esther is now, we've now transitioned from the Babylonian Empire to the Persian Empire. That's now the world power. Uh, This book begins with a new king, uh, King Xerxes, And he is holding a seven-day banquet for all the people in the land from the least to the greatest. On day seven, he has this amazing idea. I know what I'll do. I'll parade my wife, a woman by the name of Vashti. Uh, I will parade her out in front of everyone to show her off. And I know all the ladies in the house, all you wives would find that uh, just amazing. Uh, She did not find it amazing. And so she said no. And uh, that's not something you typically do to the king, say to the king. And it says here um, that he became furious and he burned with anger. But he doesn't know what to do. What do I do about this? I'm just mad. Chapter 2 and verse 13 says, Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king. There were seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king. And look at this. They are now the highest in the kingdom. So the Magi have gone from this priestly type of tribe to now highest in the kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar reigned from 605 B.C. to 562 B.C. That was the Babylonian Empire. Xerxes I reigned from 486 B.C. to 465 B.C. And during those decades, the wise men have now gone from advisors to the king to now highest in the kingdom. And you can see here that the king isn't even going to decide what to do with his own wife until he consults with the wise men. In fact, history tells us that the Magi became so powerful that in order for a Persian king to assume power, they had to cross two hurdles. They first had to be well-versed in all of the teachings of the Magi. And second, they must be approved by a vote of the Senate of the Magi, a separate group called the Magistani. So the magi, or the wise men, ultimately became king makers in pagan land. So they alone 
had the power to select a king. Okay, now fast forward about 500 years to the time of Christ. By this time, the Roman Empire is now the world power. It controls most of the territory. But there's another empire that still has some control to the east. It's called the Medo-Persian Empire. I've got a map up here that can show you uh, where they reigned. So as you can see, um, uh, this would be, uh, let's see, I've got my laser pointer. In this area here, this would be the Israel, land of Israel in here. Next map shows the Roman Empire versus the Parthian Empire. You see the star right down there in the middle? That's Jerusalem. That's Israel. So the Roman Empire, by the time of Jesus' day, has now become the superpower. But the Parthian Empire is... Um, is still in control of some area. We still all together here? We all, everybody moving in the same direction? Great. So the, the Roman Empire is the superpower of the day, and yet we have an, an in control here is Jerusalem, is Israel. And who's in power in the land of Israel? It's a man by the name of Herod the Great. So back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, or I guess now we're landing in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So we've had the opportunity to, to look at the Herod family through the years. We'll have uh, uh, continued opportunity to look at them. Uh, in some places, the Herod family tree does not fork. There's a very, very um, uh, pagan, uh, just a, a notorious family of, uh, uh, of great, great problems. Uh, Herod the Great would be the dad or the granddad, depending on who, who we're talking about. He was both an economic genius and a horrific tyrant. He was known for building theaters and amphitheaters. He built a port and markets, temples, housing, palaces, walls around Jerusalem. He built infrastructure and aqueducts. Uh, he was uh, noted, credited for building the fortress of Antonia, which was to be the palace, as we've looked at uh, the, the Temple Mount and, and Jerusalem, uh, that massive area called the Temple, uh, with Herod's Temple in the middle of it, which would, which would have been um, that, that place where the Holy and Holy of Holies would be. The Fortress of Antonia was a palace right in the corner of the Temple where Pilate lived and could oversee all of what was going on. Uh, in, in the temple. But at the same time, he's known for jealousy, insecurity, and violence. He had his wife murdered. He had her two sons murdered, her brother murdered, her grandfather murdered, and her mother murdered. He killed his firstborn son. He was a violent man, and his rise to power 
also plays into the story. Uh, go back to that map that showed the Roman Empire and the Parthian Empire. Herod was elevated to regional power at about 40 BC when the Parthians actually invaded Israel. So you have this invasion of what was already occupied by the Roman Empire. Herod is the local government official. He actually followed his father, who was also a local governor. Uh, when this happens, Herod flees to Rome. And then he comes back with a Roman military together with his military, and they fight back the Parthians. Um, so ultimately, he is given um, the, the governorship of Israel, and he is referred to as the king of the Jews. Now, he's not technically a king because it is Roman Empire, but he is referred to as a king. Herod is technically not a Jew. He is an Edomite. His, his history goes all the way back to Esau, um, Edomites versus Israel, um, the Jewish uh, nation, which comes from uh, his brother Jacob. So now remember, um, the Magi are now kingmakers. And at this time, they were ru the ruling party of this Parthian empire. And at this time, there was a, a current king. Uh, his name was Phraates IV. He was a weak king. And um, they're, they've pretty much had enough of him. They're ready for a new king because they want to take another shot at occupying or taking over this territory. It's been 30 years since that last invasion. They have no confidence in Phraates IV, and so they're looking to depose him and find a new king. Now, think with me here and think with, about your nativity set. You got three men riding on camels. They're riding into Jerusalem looking for or asking about a new king of the Jews. Matthew puts it this way in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now, the Greek word for disturbed here in this text is a word terasso. We get our word terrify from it. It means panic. It means terror. It means stirred up. So if three men come in on camels to Jerusalem, why would Herod be terrified or panic-stricken by three men on camels? Because that isn't what happened. Um, and I'm sorry for this, but I am going to ruin your nativity set today. History re records that when the Magistani, the kingmakers, the senate, the leaders of the Magi would come, uh, would travel, they wouldn't travel on camels. What do, you, what do we know about a, uh, an animal that comes from Persia? Uh, Persian stallions, you know, massive horses. And so what would happen is they wouldn't come in groups of three. Uh, the Magistani would travel in groups of 50 to 100. They would be riding Arabian 
stallions, and they would be accompanied by a military force of a thousand or more soldiers. Now, think with me here. If 50 to 100 state officials, kingmakers, ride into Jerusalem accompanied by a thousand or more soldiers, and this is the group that comes from the state that you defeated three, 30 years ago and wants another shot, and they ask, where is this king of the Jews? Now, that might strike some terror in you. And that's what happened. Now, look here. It says, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, in spite of what Herod did for the Jews, he was not loved. He was hated, and he knew it. But at the same time, he was feared. Um, Herod knew this, and he hated them back. In fact, Herod was, when he was on his deathbed, um, he had prominent men from every village in the Jewish nation arrested until his death. He is quoted by saying, I know well enough that the Jews will keep a festival upon my death. However, it is in my power to be mourned for on other accounts. Send soldiers to these men and they, that are now in custody and slay them immediately upon my death. And then all Judea and every family within it will weep. So this is Herod the Great. Knowing he's going to die and knowing it is going to be celebrated, he has prominent men from every village captured, held captive, and gives the order that upon his death, they are all to be slain as well. So the entire nation is mourned. So whenever Herod's upset, everyone's upset. If mama not happy, ain't nobody happy. If Herod's not happy, we're all in trouble. So when these wise men come riding into town, King Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Okay, now, since I've started, I'm going to continue to mess up your nativity scene here. I got one more change for you. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, chief, the people's chief priests and teachers in the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This, by the way, is the only reference that you'll find of the number three. 
it's only because there were three gifts listed, not because there were three wise men. There's tradition for you. Um, Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, how am I going to mess you up? They weren't at the manger. The wise men were not at the manger. Uh, They're not part of the Christmas scene. Uh, In fact, it says when they saw the star, uh, the, the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place the child was. Where was that? On coming to the house. In verse 12, it says they returned to their country by another route. The song itself says we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar. They have come from a far country. This would have taken time. We also know by verse 16, it says when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. At this point, Jesus would be somewhere uh, probably over a year old. So they weren't at the manger scene. You can keep your nativity scene how it is. It's totally fine. Just recognize that's false teaching. Let me try to bring this in for landing here. The worship team can come. First and foremost, I said it before, I'll say it once more. God is in control. No matter what situation you find yourself today, no matter what problems you may face, no matter what the outlook looks like, I can assure you that God is in control. If he can take a situation like the one Daniel was in, taken captive to a foreign land, persecuted, absolutely misunderstood, no doubts, unsure of what the future held. If he can take all of that and use it for his glory, no matter where you find yourself today, God is in control and he wants to use your situation for his glory. And we know that in all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. These wise men would have known all about Daniel. Even though this is 600 years after, he was a prominent leader within the Magi. Uh, His prophecies would have been read. They would have been looking for signs, and they saw him. And so even though the Magi were not Jews, they were most likely not believers in the one true God as a whole, God still used them. And by orchestrating their rise to power and their position as king makers in an earthly kingdom, God used them as an instrument to recognize Jesus as the king. History is his story. And he wants to use your story too. There's a second consideration here, and that's this. God reveals himself to those who are looking for him. As I said, the the Magi were not godly in a sense that we would recognize someone as godly. In fact, probably 
most of them were pagans. Really had no use for, no life bend towards God. In fact, even though Daniel was a godly man and was an early leader of the Magi, there's no record that the group as a whole turned their hearts towards God. We don't know one way or the other. The Bible is silent on that. And yet they still heard the prophecies and they were looking for a sign. And when they saw the glory of God, which I believe is what the star was. What was the star? I believe it was the, the glory of God shining over Jesus. And when they saw it, they chose to follow it. Now contrast that with the Jewish leaders. Look at verse 4. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. Who's that? Herod. And he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Their response was, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. This is a direct quote from Micah chapter 5. Notice there's no reference to them saying, you know, let us research this. You know, this is a really good question. Uh, let us go back and, and, and get you, find the answer. We'll, we'll bring it back to you. No, they knew exactly where the Messiah would be born. And get this. It was only four miles away. These wise men saw a sign and came from perhaps hundreds of miles away looking for a king. And all the while, the chief priests, the teachers of the law were only four miles away and they totally missed it. You know, I think we can get ourselves caught in that type of thing ourselves. I mean, we can get so used to just doing what we do. We can get so used to living our life that, that God could bring something right in front of your face and you can totally miss it if you're not constantly looking. And maybe you find yourself, you know, you're, you're, you're open to spiritual things. Listen, when you're open to spiritual things, God will move in your life. We saw it last week. And there are people, just, just talking to Christians here today, there are people that you will come across tomorrow that are open to things. And if you're not careful, you can find yourself completely blinded to that. And you could miss an opportunity to introduce them to life change. John chapter 1 says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The first people 
This is an amazing story. The first people to recognize Jesus as the King of Kings was a pagan Gentile group who had no heritage in God. And yet, they were looking for a king. Are you looking for God? Because he's right here. He came to that which was his own, but his own received him not. The receipt of Christ as king comes from belief to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God so that you will know that Jesus is the Messiah God had earthly kingmakers anoint him as king praise God let's pray Heavenly Father Lord I thank you that you use everything for your glory Nothing takes you by surprise. Everything that happens to us has your purpose written all over it if we will allow it. And I pray right now that we would have your eyes to see beyond the moment that we are in and into the future. And we can use a story like this that that literally spans hundreds of years and see how you can use a very difficult situation like the one Daniel was in and pull it all together perfectly. Only a God could do that. And you are the only God. Thank you, Lord, for opening hearts to you. Thank you for those that are looking for you because you meet us when we're looking for you. The song ends by just singing, Hallelujah, our God reigns. And we we're singing this Wednesday night, and the truth is this regardless of your situation, God is on the throne. He is reigning over all the earth. And the same God that pulled this entire story together that we will see week after week after week unfold is the same God that is still on the throne today. And he has a plan. It's a plan that gives hope and a future. But you have to open your heart to receive him.
And that begins a totally different life. Your spiritual eyes become open. You begin to understand things in a way that you cannot without just a spark of belief. If you've never made that decision to put your faith and trust, your belief in Jesus Christ, you're one prayer away from that hope, from that joy. And if that's you, I'd, I'd just like to pray for you today. Is there anybody here today that you've never given your heart to the Lord? I'd like to pray for you. Well, God, we just rejoice in your plan. We lift up next service to you. We pray, Lord, for those that are coming into this place that have not made that decision. Lord, would you use your story, history, to speak truth. We can be confident and rejoice today as we walk out of here knowing that you do work all things together for good. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.